Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. So I sat here uh, prepped to open because you doorknobs, and since we've started doing this remotely, have not wanted to open probably once until like be said, unless I force you guys. I don't think Evan's done it once voluntarily. No. And I'm sitting here prepping to open and Evan just goes, holy shit, this Borat preview is so funny. <laughs> it's just, funny. As I, just as I hit record. And then he goes, oh, wait, the sound's coming through on the uh, screen recording. Oops. <laughs> I'm sure people would have enjoyed that, actually. It probably would have been better. Although that would have been a record time for our uh, YouTube video to get taken down. Definitely. So what I was going to say is uh, I was having a good day until Eisenman closed his uh, media availability today by saying, stop reading so much into everything I'm doing. And all I can think was, I'm going to get the biggest, fattest, stupidest I told you so from Brad in the world. And I'm just not prepared for that mentally. Okay. You want me to pretend to take your side for a second here? Yeah, sure. He's only saying that because he accidentally slipped up and said something he didn't want public. So now he's trying to cover his tracks. Let's throw Which on is the, the yoga thing. Let's throw on the tinfoil hats. There's your material, Ryan. You're welcome. <laughs> thanks for uh, thanks for giving in, Brad. I pre- that's really generous of you because I know you could have taken that way further. Oh yeah, no. I I mean, he threw out a yoga uh, joke, so I was gonna go nineteen different ways with that, but I figured I'll just put my username here as the joke, and then I don't have to beat it to death on the episode. I wish I knew more yoga positions other than downward facing dog, which has like way too many sexual connotations for us to make puns here because that'd be uncomfortable. Um, because there are a lot of yoga jokes to be had, so yeah, the extent of it is Eisman's yoga instructor is Brad's screen name here. I will say though that. Steve Eiserman in Warrior 2 might be the most intimidating thing on this planet, just from a visual standpoint. <laughs> you're a dweeb. You're a, you're a fitness dweeb, you know that? I, yes, Ryan, you know what I used to do for a career, so. <laughs> yeah, we don't talk about that, though, Brad. <laughs> I will say, people did love uh, watching open hockey cards. That's not what you were referencing, but wait, we put up the video of... Uh, yeah, speaking of old careers, that felt yeah. weird. Oh, it, it was fun. My my brother watched that. My brother's super into to hockey cards, and he was like, oh, I, I kind of missed this. And then I was like, oh, watch this video that Brad did. He goes, hey, this guy's great. I went, oh, man. It was actually weird because there's – so, like, when I used to do this professionally, when I would be doing the openings, like, I had certain jokes that I'd always throw in for certain players that they just became like automatic in my head. Like when, whenever I would pull a Seth Jones card, I would like make a Mike Jones joke. And I pulled the Seth Jones card and I almost made the joke. I'm like, nobody watching is going to get it because it was like a thing from the other thing. So I was just like, yeah, I got to just talk like a normal human as much as I can throughout this. Speaking of which, huge giveaway that uh, you guys need to go uh, retweet on our Twitter because that runs up until uh, not this episode, next episode. And then for next episode, <gasps> I'm opening another box and we'll be giving that away. And then the week after, another one. And the week after, another one. 
Yep. So uh, full details here. This is a giveaway sponsored by Upper Deck uh, Hockey. They sent us a bunch of goodies to give away to you guys. So uh, there's currently a Zadina card that will be given away tonight. Uh, it'll be announced on Twitter after this episode is posted. I just have to do some editing and stuff first. Um, and then, yeah, like Brad said, entire full. This one was called uh, the Hockey Credentials 2019-2020. Upper Deck Credentials Hockey. Yeah. And it's a full box of... Uh, packs so brad opened it up we posted it on youtube for you guys to watch and the contents of that are what are being given away and uh for context again the zadina card is patreon exclusive this big box is open to everyone but patrons do get uh automatically entered additionally uh based on your level of entry so yeah we have three more boxes there for those who are watching on youtube i'm holding up the three boxes that we still have to give away we've got uh sp game use trilogy and spx all from this year it is fun anyhow that's all to come uh but more importantly fun draft stuff is to come so welcome to the winged wheel podcast i am uh eiserman's interpreter for today i'm ryan hannah i'm eiserman's yoga instructor brad crisco and i'm evan (laughs) i got nothing (laughs) today you like that one eh is that just water or vodka I plead the fifth. <laughs> yeah, that's probably a good choice. Uh, on this episode of the podcast, we do have a very exciting interview with none other than uh, Sam Cosentino from Sportsnet, their lead draft analyst. It was really good timing because uh, a uh, graphic or the uh, Sportsnet ranking graphic to release today it was mistakenly published as the uh, mock draft graphic. So we actually kind of you'll you guys will see we, we kind of realized and fixed that on air um but first we will be talking about the nhl at large of course the stanley cup being awarded um some rumors around the league oliver ekman larson uh henrik lungfist being bought out from the rangers athanasiu things like that um we'll be covering everything eisenman said and or did not say from his presser today and uh some information about mantha that has uh come to light uh, of course, the interview and then today's big feature piece is the final and possibly most important uh, prospect profile we're going to do, Cole Perfetti. So today's Cole Perfetti's uh, NHL draft prospect profile and we'll, we'll then get into overtime after that. Very rarely are we on the ball as a air quotations professional podcast. This one we nailed because not only did we save Perfetti for the last prospect profile before the draft, because our next episode's our big mock draft episode, we got the guy on who was the first one to say Perfetti was a lock to Detroit at number four, and we're actually able to ask him about that and get a very in-depth answer as to why. We finally did. It took us five and a half years as a podcast, but we finally <laughs> timed something properly. Shout out to uh, Jeff Merrick for helping that make or helping yep. make that happen for us. Yeah. Um, okay. The NHL they conducted an entire Stanley Cup playoffs plus a round in a bubble, over thirty three thousand tests, zero positive cases, and the Tampa Bay Lightning lifted the Stanley Cup. And then ruined it and probably infected a thousand people because they're a big bag of idiots. Like, you don't want to generalize it was, the team. It was going to happen. It was going to happen. No, it wasn't. It wasn't was, going to happen. They're in Florida. It's going to happen. Oh, it, yeah. Tampa. It was going to happen with Tampa no matter what. It wasn't going to happen no matter what. Would this have happened if hypothetically the Calgary Flames won? 
No. Nope. It's wildly different in Canada as opposed to, well, I mean, it goes state by state. Yeah, but no. But would this have happened Anyhow. if the New York Rangers won? Nope. Florida. Florida man ruins everything. <laughs> uh, the cup itself, um, Tampa just looked strong start to finish. Not that Dallas didn't, but Tampa just looked like the team that should have been there, and they played like the team that should have been there. I mean, there's a reason I've predicted them preseason to win the cup. I'm pretty sure every year this podcast has existed, they finally made me not look like an idiot. And they did it with basically without their captain and their fourth best player. As weird as that is to say. I mean, they were dominant. Every one of their top players stepped up. Kucherov was getting in Gretzky and Lemieux territory for assists. Braden Point was unreal. Victor Hedman won the, deservedly won the Conn Smythe and came close to defensive defenseman goal scoring records on top of his ridiculous defensive play vasilevsky was his normal self like everything went right for them except for stamkos's injury they played to the top of their game and and there wasn't really a team in these playoffs who looked like they competed with them they they breezed through this you could almost argue columbus gave them their biggest run and they won that series in five and they did it after possibly the biggest heartbreak upset in playoff history, mm-hmm. so kudos to them. They learned from uh, the, from the heartbreak and the upset, and they they finally were able to sprint through the finish line. You look at Tampa with that, and you look at Washington winning well beyond what their window was, and you look at St. Louis. The common thread here is these teams not giving up on their core and not blowing it up. Not even too early, but after some resounding defeat, you fine-tune some things, you try to add some pieces to help, which, of course, Tampa Bay did. Um, it's not like Julian Breezeball just sat and did the exact same thing. But when you look at your team and you have an extremely strong team and things just haven't gone your way, you the answer isn't always to blow it up. And, and we're seeing that come through because these teams that should have maybe won more than once before now or, or before, you know, the the past few years they stuck with it they kept fine-tuning it they kept rolling the dice because a lot of luck does come into play for the playoffs and it's paid off so that's a huge huge lesson we talk about the the nhl being a copycat league and we always think oh that means draft big defensemen or oh that means draft speedy wingers or whatever it is part of that should be from gm saying hey when it doesn't work out but you think it should have, maybe don't blow it up right away. Maybe give it a few more chances because a lot of luck and a lot of fine tuning comes into play on this. So yeah, kudos to, to Breezebois for not completely uh, tearing things down last year. And you know what? That was his first full year as GM. He very well could have, and he could have been justified. He said, nope, I have a different image of this team. Here's how I want to build it. He could have made some big moves and nobody would have batted an eye, but he stuck with it. Um, and the team that he and Steve Eisenman before him built ended up lifting the cup. And that's a, that's a big thing. I know we're going to be obnoxious about this and Red Wings fans are already obnoxious about this, but I can't help but be excited about the fact that a team that Steve Eisenman largely put together outside of the couple pieces that were there when he got there lifted the Stanley Cup in such dominant fashion. I mean, it's a copycat league, and I forget who tweeted it, but I saw a perfect tweet for this. So it's a copycat league, so now all every other team has to do is draft several superstars outside of the first round, uh, hit huge on the draft lottery picks they have, sign their top players to ridiculously good value contracts, trade for every other good defenseman in the league, and then you win a Stanley Cup. It's easy. You know, the e- easiest way to do that, because that's all extremely difficult, what Brad said, but you know what the, the easiest way to do all that in just one move is? Get the guy who did it. 
get the guy who did it. Yes, that is definitely the easiest move. <laughs> See, I mean, it's the only one they can really do. I mean, I, I joked about trading for Sergachev, and then the more I talked about it, I realized how stupid that was. Well, not stupid, but just unlike. I mean, yeah, everybody would want to trade for Sergachev. Everyone well, would I like to have low, right? Oh, unless you're Montreal. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about that completely, too, until I just said it. Um, yeah, he, he, obviously, Eisman talked today in his presser. He was like, yo, I was happy. Like, it was exciting to watch it, but it's not like... He didn't feel sit there feeling vindicated or whatever. I mean, it was his choice to leave Tampa Bay. Uh, but as Red Wings fans, like we do a lot of like fanboying. We do a lot of like getting way ahead of ourselves. And of course, we're guilty of that. I probably lead the charge half the time. But I think this is something to genuinely, genuinely, genuinely be excited by. Because a lot of these moves were only made possible by something Brad just referenced, which is the amazing value that Eisman was able to get those guys under contract. And a lot of them were really, really smart trades or depth additions or, or draft picks. And draft picks is a bit different. You know, the team makes more draft picks than the GM does, like the, the draft, uh, the, the scouting group. Um, but still, it's a huge vote of confidence for Red Wings fans because sometimes they'll need that because, again, this is a very, very, very slow process rebuilding in the NHL. Um, okay. Beyond the Stanley Cup uh, and hockey being over for the time being, um, rumors immediately started swirling around the league. Uh, first and foremost, Oliver ekman Larson is being shopped aggressively out of Arizona, and it seems like uh, Edmonton was a suitor for a while before it came out that uh, they weren't on his uh, teams allowed to be traded to list, uh, but Boston and Vancouver were. And Boston has come out as a strong candidate, and I don't really understand that one i don't understand this on two fronts they don't have the cap space to keep tory krug but they're willing to trade and give up assets for a similarly skilled player who costs more money likely with more term than krug might get and yeah and older than to, Tor- no how old's tory, tory they're krug. pretty close in age i don't they're not dramatically different um, I'm not saying Tory Krug is as good as Oliver Ekman Larson, but at least Krug's a known quantity to you. And you don't have to give up assets to keep Krug because from all accounts, he wanted to stay. And then Arizona doesn't have picks. So the rumored asking price for Oliver Ekman Larson is a first round pick and a young defenseman. Can Boston meet either of those requirements? Because if they lose Krug, they're not, and they're obviously taking an Ekman Larson, they're not really in a position to be giving up a young defenseman. That being said, if you look outside of the roster at their prospects, there's no top end young defenseman, and they don't have their first round pick this year. So Arizona would obviously have to wait a year, which isn't the worst thing for them considering they lost their first round pick next year, but. Man, if this happens, both teams are going to have to get seriously creative. And if they do, kudos to them. But it, it, it strikes me as odd on all fronts. Yeah, only a few months apart, those two guys. Additionally, um, I, I, I don't know if the Vancouver thing has been put out as a rumor that Vancouver's interested or just that somewhere that he would want to go. That could not possibly make sense for Vancouver, right? Like they are in cap hell without trying to sign or bring on Ekman Larson's contract unless there was money going back. But can the Arizona ownership group afford those dollars? So it doesn't, it doesn't because Vancouver's biggest cap issue comes right now from Jacob Markstrom. 
Well, they could just let him walk, and then that cap dollars gets freed up right there. Apparently, Jake Furtanen's been on the block, so I don't think Vancouver would have as hard a time freeing up the cap space. I figure they have more of a need there than the Bruins do, because I'm just trying to think of the Canucks' left side right now behind Quinn Hughes, and it's not looking great. I'm, I'm aware Alex Edler is an all right player, but he's not young. So I, I get it. I don't necessarily think with everything they'd have to get up to acquire him, like forget the assets in the trade, but like the pieces they would have to unload to get him. If it makes a ton of sense for them, if Vancouver does emerge as the front runner, it actually could uh, greatly help the Red Wings because then Jim Benning's no draft picks to move a bad contract might get loosened if he knows there's an Oliver Ekman Larson at the end of he's like, crap, I've got a deal in place. Well, you can go over the cap in the summer. So he could actually just make the deal, but then go, crap, I don't have this cap space. All right, uh, Detroit, we'll give you our 2021 first. You got to take Erickson though. Like it, something like that could happen. Not necessarily Detroit, but any team could jump on that. I mean, it makes sense. The one thing that confused me, though, is because I saw different wording on these rumors on Twitter. One said OEL would only wave to Boston or Vancouver, nobody else. Another one just said those two teams were on his list that he could be traded to. So I, I'm not fully sure which one it is, if it's a, those only two. Well, then this all makes sense because Arizona doesn't have anybody else to negotiate with. So they're obviously going to negotiate with those two. Uh, but if there, if it's a bigger list, I, I have to think from Arizona's perspective, there's better suitors out there in terms of what they could get in return. But hey, it's silly season. This offseason is going to be nuts. We're in it now and I'm here for it. Yeah, there's definitely going to be more to come on that front. Um, other major news coming out of the NHL. Surprising, not surprising, I'm not really sure. The Rangers buying out the king of New York, Henrik Lundqvist, their franchise goalie for the past 15 years. I'm going to put it out there now. It doesn't really make sense for Detroit to sign him for Detroit or Lundqvist. Actually, it would make sense for Detroit, but Lundqvist wouldn't I don't imagine him wanting to come here. No, that we, we should not do that to that poor man. It was one of those things where like, you kind of knew it was coming. You were preparing yourself for it, and then it happened. You're like, I'm still sad. Yeah, it's I'm not even a Rangers fan. I couldn't no. care less what they do, but I, I think that speaks volumes of uh, uh, Henrik's um, who he is as a person and and sort of what he's meant to the league uh, over his career. I hope a team, a, a contending team, gives him a chance at a cup. I can't think of a lot of guys who deserve one more than him. He is He'll be one hell of a backup in Tampa Bay next year. <laughs> I hope he gets his Ray Bork moment, but. I mean, it, it sucks that it ends in a buyout because that looks worse. But really what happened here is the Rangers did give Lundqvist the opportunity to go chase his cup because he's going to get paid, albeit a fraction of what he otherwise would have. He's going to get paid by the Rangers for the next two years. He can go sign a one-year contract with a contending team pretty cheap. And then, you know, whether that's a Colorado, which would make sense, a Vancouver would make sense. Uh, I don't know what McElhinney's situation is in Tampa, but that could make sense. There'll be a lot of suitors for him from good teams to be a backup. And and he'll have his choice. So 
at the end of this all, he might end up with his Raybork moment. In that case, everybody wins because if you take sentiment out of it, this was the right move for the Rangers. I mean, they have two very young, promising goalies, whereas Henrik Lundqvist had one year left on his contract and they probably, based on recent performance, had no reason to keep him around beyond that. So getting out from it early so that they could keep Shesterkin and Georgiev for this season and then maybe trade one of them next offseason before the expansion draft, like it all makes a ton of sense from the Rangers' perspective. And yeah, I, I hope, I hope, I hope, it works out for Lundqvist in the end, as long as he doesn't sign in Boston. Yeah, and, and just to expand on the Red Wings point, I, I promise you there's there's for sure Patreon questions about this. The Red Wings would want a a second goalie who comes in cheaper, with which Lundqvist might. like. He's had a ton of career earnings. Maybe he doesn't care about that, but he's not going somewhere for cheap unless they're competing, and, and that's just the end of it. Um, I don't really see him just kind of petering away in Detroit. No, he he will have suitors because look at Colorado this year. They, if they're not playing their third string goalie and half their lineup doesn't get hurt, they're not losing that series to Dallas, and they probably give Tampa a better run in the final. So you think they're in an even better position next year with a ton of cap space and a need for a backup and potentially starting goalie? Like to me, that makes the most sense for Lundqvist. Um, a sneaky dark horse for him uh, because he loves his lifestyle. He loves where he lives. And Thomas Grace is a UFA, as I could see him just going across the river to the island there and playing oh, for the Islanders. But I think that the back. I mean, they bought him out. He's free to do whatever he wants. So, and hey, the Islanders went to the conference finals this year. So he could sit there and go, well, I want my cup. They're a good bet for it. I don't think they're a good bet for it, but he might think they're a good bet for it. So you never know. And for him and his lifestyle and his life, he doesn't even have to move. So there, there is appeal there. Who's his agent? Is it Alan Walsh? We can drop the graphic right now. Oh, he's going to Vegas. <laughs> um, okay. And then uh, October 7th, I believe, is the date where qualifying offers have to be sent out for the most part. Um it's so hard finding concrete dates for all of this because everything's shifted and we don't even know when play is coming back. So all this is take with a grain of salt, whether it's wrong right now or it will be wrong in the future. I'm sure one of the two will come to fruition. Um, more and more indications that Athens CU won't be retained by Edmonton and they're going to let him walk. So he could be a, a, a sneaky good ad. Whether he comes back to Detroit, I see Ottawa as a really good suitor. For for Athens CU, I, I could see a lot of teams looking to bring Athens CU on f- at no cost other than his contract. It's not like the the trade deadline where they have to pay for him. I mean, he's a valuable player. He's only one year removed from a thirty goal season. He was he his tenure in Edmonton was a train wreck because he got hurt, only played ten games, scored one goal. Uh, he's he's a huge defensive liability, and you know Ken Holland brought him into a defensive coach, so that went about exactly as expected. So for a team who knows what he is, knows what they're getting, understands they're probably going to get him pretty cheap as a reclamation project, if you put him on a sheltered line, kind of like Detroit did with Thomas Vanek years ago, you will get production out of him. Now, who that team is, I have no idea. Again, if it's the Red Wings, this would be the biggest galaxy brain move Steve Eisman will have ever pulled in his career. Get two second-round picks for a guy that you end up with next season. Um, It's not going to happen, but... I think Evan proposed that as a joke in one of our deadline episodes. And here we are. <laughs> <laughs> I but, knew all uh, along. But to be fair, Detroit, like, uh, 
the most likely suitors for Athens CU are going to be the lower seed teams with cap space looking for a reclamation project. I, I've mentioned Buffalo a couple of times makes a ton of sense. Ottawa makes a ton of sense. I think New Jersey makes a lot of sense for him. So, I mean, he's going to have his share of suitors. But, yeah, I mean, the the flat cap screwed a lot of teams, Edmonton included. Anybody with lots of cap space could potentially look at him and plot him in somewhere either in the in the bottom six. Mm-hmm. So he, he might get a lot more phone calls than what the general public might think. Yeah, it's it's easy to kind of look down on Athanasiu because of recency bias and didn't have the hottest previous season. But you look at the body of work before that, I think that's what teams are going to notice. Um, okay, some Red Wings news before we jump into our, our prospect profile. We're going to start with the um, media availability that Eisman had today. And, and it wasn't anything earth-shattering. It was planned. And so it's not like he came in to announce like Larkin's captain or anything like that, which <clears throat> we're awaiting, Steve. Um, but he did uh, take some questions for about 30, 45 minutes. Um Said a lot of nothing, but some of his nothing, I, I felt like there's some substance too. So let's start at first and foremost, uh, some really depressing news. Um, Eisman confirmed, and I can't remember who asked the question, uh, but Eisman confirmed that the Red Wings, in fact, do not refer it, refer to it as the Eisner plan in-house. Why do we even follow this team? Yeah. I don't know. It's all 2020. 2020 takes no prisoners no one can be happy he should have just you know if he we already knew he was doing yoga he may as well have just continued (laughs) the trend and just said yes we call it the eyeser plan he's probably he got that question he's probably like i'm so tired of these dweebs he's like holy shit i'm going back to do some yoga yeah for real namaste there's uh he he did some more talk and none of this is earth shattering but just talking about like how the rebuild has to happen through the draft i think he called it impossible to build like a a strong nucleus through free agency and trades which isn't news to anyone and if it's news to you well congratulations on your learning moment today i'm sorry for your sudden realization of how long this is going to take but uh, welcome aboard um the first thing that really stuck out to me was helene st james asked him about uh targeting for positional need in the draft specifically high up at fourth overall um and eisenman made it to a point to say that detroit's too early in their rebuilding phase to be targeting for positional need he said they have so many needs and it's so early on that it doesn't make sense to do anything other than take the best player available. He's like, maybe if you've gone through six rounds of a draft and you haven't taken a single, you know, say defenseman, then you take a defenseman in round seven. But beyond that, what he's going to look to do is take the best player available. Is that posturing? Is that him not wanting to tip his hand because answering that question that answers that question for fourth overall? I thought, I thought it, it, it meant a lot and Frankly, if you're anti-Drysdale or anti-Askaroff, that could spell some trouble for you. Do you want me to translate what he said for you? I'm the interpreter, but go ahead. We suck everywhere. Yeah. We take best player. Right. Although, last season, he took a guy conservatively seven picks too soon. Sorry, too soon is not a nice way to say it. On most lists. And now if we redrafted that, how far off is Cider from that pick? Not as far. I'd probably put him within five slots. Exactly. So that could very well have just been best player in their minds at that point. 
And that's fair. And I, I'm not calling him a liar. I'm not saying that's not consistent, but I know that's a, a point some people brought up. Is this, does this bring Drysdale back into the, the fold? Does this bring Askroff back into the fold? Does this uh, bring Sanderson back into the fold? Like what, what does this do in your mind in terms of who the Red Wings are considering? Couple it with Corey Pronman's uh, mock draft today, and it brings a few of them back into the fold because uh, Pronman still had the Red Wings taking Cole Perfetti, but also went out of his way to mention that they were still linked at that pick with Yaroslav Askarov, and then lower down in in uh, the paragraph also mentioned he's still hearing a bit of rumblings around Jake Sanderson and Lucas Raymond at that pick. So you could not circle four more different players <laughs> for the Red Wings at that pick. So if those are the ones that Detroit's uh, eyeballing, yeah, Eisenman's genuine when he says they're not targeting for position. <laughs> Yeah. Um, beyond that, uh, he then went on to confirm that Jimmy Howard uh, won't be offered a contract. So we knew that, uh, but he just kind of put it to the record today. He got some questions uh, from Daniela Bruce, um, the word on Woodward about uh, uh, Mantham Bertuzzi and other RFAs. And he not really a lot of updates. He just said that the conversations are ongoing. He did get a later question about whether that affects his timeline for anything. And he did confirm. He's like, Nope, those, conver- those negotiations are what they are. And, um, if I want to make other moves, I'm going to do it. Those won't hold anything up, which is like to say that's good because you're not going to be too concerned about Eisenman not taking on a bad contract because he doesn't know how much space those two guys will need, which like Brad, you said on previous episodes, like a rich estimate is 12 million. A rich estimate. Yeah. Um, and then I think some of his most poignant stuff was, uh, uh, and Eisenman doesn't let on a lot, right? Like the guy's an iron vault. But when asked about, you know, salary cap relief deals or, or taking on bad contracts, he did kind of give relevant to how he usually answers his most like emphatic answers, which he used the phrases working the phone, uh, seeing if there's a deal to be made. He keeps slipping up, I guess, in his mind and saying taking tires. <laughs> oh no we don't say kicking tires anymore that's done <laughs> i haven't i haven't heard eisman say kicking tires once he had such a good opportunity today to confirm the eiser plan and to say kicking tires i would have melted into the floor i just have so much trauma from that phrase he if he followed up with darren helm as our trade deadline acquisition then i, I actually would have been deceased <laughs> um he, he he talked a lot about wanting to make another or or exploring more deals in terms of taking on bad contracts for assets. And he said, like, take advantage or benefit from. I think this is something that Eisman's really getting to do. I said this last episode. I really think Eisman's looking to make another big move, like bigger than the stall trade. I think that's his goal here. He's already did it, so he's clearly a fan of doing it, and he still has infinity cap space. So, of course, he's going to continue to try and do it. And I'm here for it. And I think he wanted to get the stall one out of the way early because I, th- I, I think he did see value in Mark Stahl, the player, uh, as well as the second round pick, because we've talked at length about the gap on the left side of the Red Wings D and the need for some experience. Okay, well, Mark Stahl has been a guy who's been there, done that. So he wanted to get that out of the way before a te- another team came in and swooped and took that contract on. Now, I think he wants to do it again, but I think he wants to see where the dust settles because, as I mentioned a few minutes ago, a team like Vancouver could screw themselves on the cap by signing a big free agent or making a big trade, and then they have to. They're backed up against the wall. They have to do something they're not comfortable with. So, I think 
unless he gets an offer he cannot refuse uh, before the draft. I think we'll see this again, but I'd be surprised if it came before October 9th. Um, but again, they can easily fit one more, possibly two more bad contracts if they're quiet in free agency on their cap. So he he still has all the, the space in the world to, to flex his cap muscle. But yeah, I, I think he'll be a little more patient on this one. But I, for a guy who says nothing... I do think that you're right in that he's pretty amped up to make this happen again. Yeah, like we've said in the past, Eisenman can't control the draft lottery, um, but he can control what he does with the team and and the cap space. So this is his biggest opportunity to make um, a one fell swoop, so to say, uh, an impact in one offseason. Um, next key notes, uh, Carly Johnston um, from the Red Wings asked about whether the recent um, set of games f- that are happening in Europe, so uh, notably the SHL has been running, has that affected um, the team's lists or rankings? Uh, because there's been you know a decent enough sample size and a lot of guys on display there that might move them up or down boards. And Eisman said that he doesn't really believe that it has swayed their opinion. He's like, our list has more or less stayed the same. Um and to me, that can mean two things, thinking for, thinking about this from a Lucas Raymond perspective. They were high on Raymond before, and so they had him where they did. Um, or they wanted Perfetti from the beginning, and Raymond playing well now won't budge them off that. Yes, it's definitely one of those two things. They <laughs> either like Lucas Raymond, and they have confirmed that, or they didn't and still don't. And I don't think it's, it's- anything to worry about, like not... I don't think teams should be changing their lists. Like a few games should not be moving teams lists up and down in my mind. That's not where Detroit's drafting. No, it really is Schrodinger's pick right now. Um, His story about how they got Braden point was hysterical. <laughs> Did you guys hear that? Yes. Yeah. Where uh, they, uh, I forget paraphrasing. He called Minnesota to trade up one spot because they thought Minnesota might take him. And Minnesota just said, are you serious? Yeah. Chuck <laughs> Fletcher. He's like, he was at the next table and he just turned and looked at me like, gave me a look like, really? <laughs> <laughs> and Eisen shrugged and went, yeah. And then uh, all Chuck Fletcher wanted him to do was tell him who they were picking. Uh, they did. And they made the deal. And I mean, the rest of the story wrote itself. And that guy turned into a near MVP level hockey player. Oh, I bet Chuck Fletcher's not happy that story was told. <laughs> yeah. I doubt he would have ever become anywhere he is today playing in Minnesota's system. No. No. I don't know about that. People forget how much the development matters for prospects. You have you think of how many guys have petered out when in a different system they would have flourished. Um, yeah, but let's also not forget for his age bracket in the WHL that year, Braden Point was 20 points higher than the next draft eligible player. So it's not exactly like it was a neck and neck race between them. And it's not exactly like he should have ever been in the third round. Um, he got an offhand question, not an offhand question, uh, just a different question about um, the possibility of moving picks, even fourth overall. Eisman made it a point to say, it would have to be a pretty freaking special player to to justify moving fourth overall, and teams aren't moving their special players. Jack That's Eichel not news. for the Red Wings confirmed. Yeah. <laughs> um, commented on players being loaded out to Europe, possibly staying there for the, the season. He cited the AHL's uncertainty. That's something we've talked about in the past. Uh, I think it's his name is um, Mike Stone from 97 won the ticket. Poor guy, he asked him a question. He's like, basically saying in depth what do you think about perfetti and drysdale and eisman said they're both very good young players 
<laughs> but he that's said, it. He said very good. So yeah, yeah. And then Eisenman did hit, had his hilarious quote where he talked about. Uh, so Helene St. James asked him about uh, being muted on calls and just listening. And he pretty much shot that down. He was like, uh, if I was muted, I was like taking a different call or my car, my dog was barking. But it, before that, he made a joke, which was that <laughs> if he stayed muted because he does yoga and he didn't want to distract from the meetings. Yep. And uh, Ryan, did you not talk about this exact thing uh, an episode or two ago about how uh, maybe Brad. we should read into this? Brad, I know. I know. Okay. I know. I'm here ready for my I told you so. I deserve it. I'm not going to def- say I told you so. You're self-aware. You've learned your lesson. Ha- have I though? You, you know will what? I do it again? Maybe. That, that's, this, that's fair. <laughs> I mean, we, ju- we just analyzed an entire press conference where Steve Eisenman said, read nothing into what I do. Yeah. And that was his last <laughs> line, which is read nothing into what I say. I think, okay, that that is a great lesson. And we'll for sure think about that the next time we read way too much into what he says and does. But still, I, I think there was a lot of substance in this. Um, we got some insight. The main takeaways for me were um, just how he's, the fact that the, the European games haven't swayed his thinking too much. And uh, the fact that they are looking for who they perceive to be best player available. So We've been talking a lot about the the center position. If Eisman picks a center, it's because he values that position more, not because he thinks Detroit needs a center. If you if we're going off what he's saying, right? Like he it sounds like he's picking the most talented player, whatever that talent is in his mind. Now that could be Sanderson because he values defensive talent above offensive talent. It could be Perfetti, it could be Raymond, who knows? It could be Yaroslav Askarov, in which case I could hear Prashant's heart actually stopping. Um but yeah, it's I mean he said pretty much everything I expected him to say. I'm still a little surprised just how open and aggressive he is about taking on bad contracts, but I'm I'm very happy to hear that. Um, it was nice of them to confirm that Howard's not coming back, so Red Wings uh, Twitter could have have like give Jimmy his fond farewell today, which was nice to see. Uh, except for the couple a holes in my mention saying, "Yeah, but he wasn't that good," because apparently they don't watch hockey or read stats. Um, but yeah, I mean. It was nice. Um, yeah, it, it was. I, I like that he's pretty upfront about that. Um, it kind of just cuts the shit from the start. And maybe where that's not something we're used to as Red Wings fans. Like we have to wait a little while before to hear some kind of confirmation from Holland. And that's just business sometimes. I don't think that's good or bad. Um, and then Craig Custance in part of his article where he, it was a really good piece. I, I recommend you go read it where he just talked about rumors around the league. Um, he mentioned the negotiations with Mantha are positive, but at the same time, uh, a progression that he sees possibly happening is Mantha maybe going for a shorter term deal. And that's because of the flat cap. So take another short term deal, take him to free agency or UFA status, uh, and take lower money to basically bet on himself until money is flowing back into the league and the cap is higher. So that's definitely a big possibility. And I think that could actually be pretty advantageous for Detroit. Um, here's a hypothetical for you. And I promise I'm not going to stick on this point too long. Sign Mantha three year deal, decent money, whatever. Um, the rebuild isn't going fast enough to capitalize on Mantha's best year years. You trade Mantha one or two years into it. I mean, yeah, I could see it. I mean, that, that theory could apply with just about any length of contract, right? Because if Mantha, this is all assuming Mantha's play doesn't go south in the next couple of years. 
because you'd almost get more value out of him if he signed for like six and a half mil for five years, which is one one of the projections has his contracts next contract set at. Um, because if you're trading for three years of Anthony Mantha, uh, putting up seventy points, you'd get a bigger return than you know a one year rental, right? So, I, I'm very much for the idea if the rebuild trends slower than we would hope but i don't think the contract implication has much implication on that well there's going to be more on that to come of course um until those deals deals are signed we're going to be discussing them uh, ad nauseum so uh we are actually going to move along now to our interview with uh, sam costantino from sportsnet the lead draft analyst over there uh we're going to hear about um how he was the first uh, to put out the Perfetti to Detroit link and why he thinks that's the case, Um, who he actually ranks as the fourth best player in the, in the draft um, and a bunch of other good stuff. So it was a really great interview. Uh, So without further ado from Sportsnet, Sam Costantino. Welcome to the wing wheel podcast, special interview, pre-draft interview with Sam Costantino from Sportsnet, Sportsnet lead draft analyst. Sam, thank you so much for joining us uh this is an exciting time yeah it's awesome i've been i've been super busy double booked myself a few times gotten in trouble a few times uh <laughs> but you know what uh it's, it's kind of a labor of love and it really heated up here over the well really over the last month with what happened on august 10th and then you know took a little bit of time from there and then uh, and then it started the rock and roll so we're we're getting really close now it's uh no doubt it's exciting for everybody and uh, i'm i'm really excited about it Oh, well, speaking of rock and rolling, you uh, had uh, Red Wings Twitter in a tizzy a couple months ago, speaking of the draft lottery. So first, we know you don't have a public Twitter account and you're one of the or smartest Friday people. Or a creeper, or I don't, I am not you, on Twitter. You do Here. not even look at it? You are no. by I, I do look at it. You know, if you I just have an Elliot Friedman Twitter in the top of my search bar, then I'll, you know, I'll, I'll check with Elliot and some other people, but I don't, I don't follow it. Uh, that immediately makes you the smartest person in hockey media for not checking Twitter. <laughs> but <laughs> the reason I mentioned that is because uh, when it landed that the Detroit Red Wings were going to be picking fourth, you were the first one, one of the first ones out there to really project who the Wings would pick. And you said it was a lock. And, I'm, and you use the word lock that the Red Wings would be taking Cole Perfetti at number four. Yeah. What's the reasoning behind that? Well, back in January, um, I was out in Plymouth watching the Biosteel All-American Prospects game. And uh, after that, short time after that, we had a game in Windsor. But in between the two, I went out and spent a day uh, with Cole for a feature that we're putting together that We'll probably go to final edit uh, sometime uh, tomorrow, which would be Friday if you're if you're uh, you know listening to this uh, down the road here a little bit. But uh, so anyway, we, we went and spent the day with Cole, and I had a pretty good relationship, um, you know, with him going back to his days with uh, with the Von Kings and Minor Midget, and then had followed him. And I thought, you know what, this would be pretty cool to while I'm in the Michigan area to go spend time uh, with Cole and see what it's like to, the life in the in the day up. So. We went there and basically got up and had breakfast with him and sorry guys and um, spent the day with him. Went through their practice sessions, sat in their video sessions. We're hanging out in the dressing room, talked to a bunch of his teammates, coaches, Dave Drinkle, the general manager in Saginaw, so on and so forth. And as we kind of rolled along, 
I started to think about, wow, this is this is really cool. I mean, this is a team that's close to Detroit. You got Jimmy Devolano and Chris Osgood as part of the ownership group in Saginaw. You know, there's a, a pretty good connection with the Billet family for for Cole. Um, I know he's got a pretty good relationship with Chris Draper. And so the more I thought about it is all these connections to the Detroit Red Wings. And then I thought back to the Mitch Marner draft. And when Mark Hunter was in charge of the Toronto Maple Leafs drafting at that point, they took Mitch Marner. And I think a big reason, aside from him being a great player, which is the same thing as Cole, but I, I looked at that as saying, this is the guy you know intimately. You know everything about this guy. You know his family. You know his background, his work ethic, his psyche. Uh, and then I mix that in with the fact that Steve Eiserman being the general manager of the Red Wings would have had ample opportunity to have all of these conversations, yet be able to, most importantly, see Cole in person. And when you watch the player, um, you know, people are thinking it's a bit of a reach at four. I, I'm, I'm not of that elk. Uh, when it comes to his brain, especially in the offensive zone, this guy is first in class. And so some people are saying, ah, well, maybe he's not the best skater. I know that's something he's worked really diligently on in the last six months. So when I put all the pieces of the puzzle together and then saw where Detroit was picking, I thought, well, this is perfect because they know this guy better than they will know anyone in this draft class. And that's maybe even more important in a situation where you look at the, the season shortening and you look at uh, the, the inability to watch any playoff hockey Memorial Cup, whatever else was going to happen for Saginaw World Junior Camp, so on and so forth. And all of a sudden, it looks like a, a real perfect fit for me. So diving into more about Cole as a player, uh, mm-hmm. as it relates to the Red Wings. So the Red Wings, quite frankly, are weak everywhere uh, in the system and the team. There, there's holes to fill no matter what position you look at. The two positions the Red Wings could argue they're not that that poor hard off in the system is right D and left wing. Now, given that Cole is strengths his IQ, but he plays on the slower side and he slows the game down to his pace. And and that's part of what makes him such a special player because he's able to do that. But that doesn't always translate to center in the NHL. And some people project him as a center. Some people project him as a left wing. When he steps up to the next level, where do you think he's going to play? I think he starts on the wing and I think maybe he matures into the center position. So what's going to allow him to do that is, is his hockey IQ, his smarts, his, his brain, you know, his understanding that by being able to be down low in, in the, in the uh, defensive zone, they can actually create a lot of offense from that spot if you're really responsible, get pucks turned over, get up the ice, you know, get into that transitional type of game. And then, of course, we know how dangerous he is once you get into the offensive zone. So I, when, I, when I look at, you know, at the draft, oftentimes – I don't necessarily look at it yet. Yeah, there's more of an emphasis on center. There's more of an emphasis on D. But some players, and I think we're going to see that with Tim Stutzla. I think we're going to see that with Jack Quinn and potentially with Cole Perfetti, where you look at the player, you assess the player, you evaluate and say, you know what? These guys are really, really smart. We project them as future centers down the road. So I think it's not necessarily the position you're drafted at based on what's beside the central scouting ranking. But, of course, you have to make that jump to pro. You have to make that jump to the NHL. And at that point, a myriad of things can happen. You know, maybe it's a need. Maybe it's an injury issue. Maybe it's a salary cap issue. And this only certain spots in the lineup open up. So I would be less concerned about uh, Cole's versatility, um, you know, or I'd be less concerned about 
pigeonholing him as a center and thinking that if he can't play that, that's a reason not to draft him. I would look at it and say he's a really versatile guy. He'll probably start in the wing because especially in the National Hockey League, the pressure to play center and the ability to learn that position is a pretty steep curve. Cole will figure it out eventually, but I think he'd be more effective on the wing, uh, quite frankly, and, and, and at least in starting in that role. Now, just uh, doubling back here to um, your drawing the connections uh, between Cole and the team and, and the familiarity. Uh, obviously, Detroit famously um, has passed on Quinn Hughes, which at the time, you know, the jury's out on whether or not that was seen as a mistake or, or at least the way we perceived it was a, you know, outstanding success that they were able to grab Sedina. But they did pass on Quinn Hughes, who is a Michigan product. And then there's also Jake Sanderson in this upcoming draft, which is who's a U.S. NTDP product. Is there the established precedent where, in your mind, where they would uh, definitely lean towards the Michigan guy based on what's happened in the past? Or do you see this as more of a, um, in this case, based on Cole Perfetti, Cole Perfetti's like excellent hockey IQ and his excellent, you know, off ice character, which is, you know, aligns with what Eisman look, looks for. Well, I, I mean, listen, Jake's down the road in Plymouth. So Steve would have had plenty of opportunity to see him as well. Uh, but when, when I kind of look and project at where uh, the Red Wings are, you know, Larkin's a guy that plays with pace and speed. You got Mantha, who's a shooter. Zadina is projected to be a shooter down the road. But who's going to distribute the puck to these guys? And I think that's where Cole really fits in. And again, I'm not saying that he's going to step in immediately and be that guy. But when you're rebuilding a team, you're not thinking about next year. You're probably thinking about two, three, four, and five years down the road. And I do believe that's that's where Steve's going with this. It's not going to be a quick fix. I think every, every Red Wings fan knows that. So you have to be able to project down the road a little bit. And when I look at the opportunity for this guy to start feeding pucks to Rasmussen or to, you know, or to Zadina or to um, Anthony Manta, now I'm thinking, wow, this is, this is kind of the guy I need. It can be a really good distributor yet. You can't sleep with a goal scoring back to back 37 goal seasons. So, you know, when it, when it comes to Perfetti and, and thinking about how things fit, you know, the other option is entirely is best player available. And so you can argue that all day long. Is Sanderson better? Is Raymond better? Is Holtz better? Is Rossi better? You can honestly, I think, in that group, once you get past number three, probably throw six or seven names in there, and you're not going to go wrong with any one of them. So that's why when I'm looking at this, I don't see huge separation in that group. So why not go with the devil you know as opposed to the one you don't? So to follow up with that, in a normal year, that familiarity is always so important as you already laid out. Does that get amplified twofold, tenfold this year, given that there was no combine, no in-person interviews, you know, it's been Zoom calls since March, right? So most of these teams aren't going to get a ton more than they had in March, which for most teams is missing the U18 tournament. There was no um, Memorial Cup. There was no OHL playoffs, all this stuff. So do you think that we can draw that conclusion then that all the, these connections get amplified? Well, I think so. Yeah, sure. Uh, again, when you're scouting, there's a lot of things you want to do. You want to get multiple looks on a player. You want to get multiple eyes on a player, especially in the first round. Because uh, I think you want to get into that meeting and you want to be able to have really good, intelligent conversation and informed conversation. So now I'm looking at this situation and again, with all of the Detroit Red Wings people that are swirling around this, 
this uh, idea of cold perfetti. I just think there's a lot of people that are going to be able to have that intelligent conversation and, and really be able to come up with, with his name at the end. Now, the Red Wings have had great success, uh, you know, in Sweden in the past. So Lucas Raymond becomes available there. Jake Sanderson, if the D is your preference and you really feel that they're as closely bunched as I feel and your preference is to go with the position, then, of course, that's that's the road you're going to go down. You said right D is a position that they have in pretty good shape, so that probably brings Drysdale out of the mix. But I think, I just think at that point, I, I really just think the fit's too good. I mean, there's nothing, um, I don't think, magical about it other than I think this is the player that they have the most knowledge of and I don't think any players in that grouping are way better than any of the other players. And so why not go with, with what you know best? And I want to thank you, Sam, for giving me the perfect transition because the next thing I wanted to talk about was the rankings you released today, which definitely caught the eye of Red Wings fans because last year Detroit went way off the board and picked the strong defensive game, the strong defensive player, Mo Sider at six, and it came out of left field. Now, Jake Sanderson's not ranked uh, as low in most rankings as Mo Sider was, but you had him at number four today, the slot the Red Wings will be picking. So people are obviously going to draw connections to that. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad you're bringing it up, Brad, because we've had some long conversations at Sportsnet about how we're going to go about things. In the last, I don't know, five or six years, I've done a mock draft that's been in written form and it goes and, and it gets published and, and it's there for everyone to see. This year, through whatever reason, Sportsnet said, we want you to do a final rankings and then we want you to do a mock draft. And I said, guys, I listen, I think you're going to confuse everybody because the rankings are different than a draft. If, if, if I were the general manager, this is how I would rank the players, in, in my opinion. So obviously I'm not a general manager. Obviously I'm not a scout. My job is to do that. So this is what we come up with. As a mock draft, it's entirely different than rankings because you're thinking along with the team. So for example, Cole Perfetti is probably not going to be four in a lot of mock drafts unless people are kind of mimic, mimicking what I'm saying. Because I put that out there in the public sphere to a number of different outlets. And again, I could be completely wrong, but I, when I think you know the player that well, I think that's the direction you're going. So it's really important to make that distinction because rankings are my personal opinion of how I feel a player should be ranked. And a mock draft is thinking a lot more along the lines of, hey, what would the Rangers do here with their second pick? What would Ottawa do? When I look at the New Jersey Devils and they have three picks, maybe they take uh, the best player available at seven, maybe they take a positional need at 18, and maybe they swing for the fences at 20. So it does change definitely what what happens throughout the course of a draft, especially for those teams that have multiple picks. So I'm glad you pointed it out. I hope that people will understand and be able to distinguish the two. Uh, but I knew this was going to be a challenge going in. And even the language has been challenging, obviously, for our people because it, it got posted, I think, somewhere on Twitter as a mock draft. And what got posted is not the top 10 mock draft. But I just got an email back, and I think they're going to fix it as we're, as we're doing this right now. <laughs> Look at that. <laughs> Movers and shakers on this show. The Winged Wheel um, Podcast saves Sportsnet for like right. 10 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> so to, to clarify for the record, Sam Sam's ranking, your personal ranking is Sanderson at four, but your prediction is Perfetti at four to the Red Wings. Yeah, exactly. Right. Exactly. Okay. 
Now, uh, are you willing to wade into these waters and talk us through why you have Sanderson uh, as your fourth best player in this draft? Well, when I look at the start of his year, he's a guy that I think knew had to play one way and he had to take care of business in his own end. He had to use his feet to be able to, you know, get back on pucks, start to move pucks and really worry about that part of it. Being nasty in the corners, being nasty in the net front, being that shutdown, physical, nasty guy that people hate to play against. I think he established himself as that guy. Not to mention the intangibles of him being the leader in the room. Not to mention that he comes from NHL bloodline, so he's not going to be phased by transitioning to the NHL whenever that happens. When I look at what he did in the second half of the season, I think he realized and looked at his team and saw, you know what? We don't have the rock stars like the 01 group that was the U.S. under-18 program. We're more of a kind of a meat and potatoes team where we have distributed scoring. We've got to balance things out a little bit. And now I'm going to take the responsibility upon myself to become that guy, to help out offensively from the back end without, by the way, losing anything defensively. So when that part of his game started to come around, I think he took a huge rise because I'm not so sure that people saw that early on. But once he opened things up a little bit, started to take some chances, initiate or join the rush, you know, keep pucks alive, maybe in a little bit more risk-taking uh, manner than he did earlier in the season, then people realize that there's an offensive side to this game. And the last thing I'll say about that, recency, I believe, always plays a big part in things. So when I look at the Miro Heiskanen's and I look at the Jamie Alexiak's and the Victor Hedman's and all these bigger guys on defense who are logging massive amount of minutes, I can't help but think as Jake's, of Jake Sanderson being one of those guys who's going to play 25 minutes for you, who's going to play tough, difficult minutes for you, who's going to get the number one uh, lineup to match up against yet probably still be able to do some things offensively that make you take note of where he's going to be. Is it a Zach Orensky type player? I think that's pretty reasonable. Shoots the puck well, skates good, can be nasty and physical. So when I look at the entirety of his game and I think about the recency and what we just watched in the playoffs, you know, I think Sanderson has had a huge, huge rise, and I think that's why. So let's get a little weird with this now because one of the – points we've made on our podcast in previous episodes that there was arguably no player hurt by the shutdown more than Jake Sanderson because like you said he had that meteoric rise in the second half where he led the five nations in scoring and he had really found his stride do you think if this played out the full season no pandemic and his game kept rising like it was that we are talking him talking about him as not only a strong pick for four but maybe even creeps into the top two or three i don't think so no you like the top three that much yeah yeah i really do yeah i don't think i don't think that would be the case i think four would have been the starting point okay so uh we've established that you think perfetti is going to detroit at four let's remove remove perfetti from the equation um let's not say that he got drafted third let's assume that the top three are as projected uh lafreniere byfield stutzla um, Eisenman's completely disinterested in Perfetti. Who do you have as the next two likely players in order that you think would go there? Well, I think Lucas Raymond is a, is a guy that uh, is going to be in very strong consideration there. Um, and I think Sanderson would be a guy in consideration there. Um, you know, again, if you're going to address the, the D situation and the recency bias, so on and so forth. So those would be two names. I mean, I look at Raymond, and he's, he seems to be a guy who's got really good hands, creativity. He's now established himself as a top-line player in Forlunda, so he's benefited from being able to come back um, while most others are still out. 
Um, and that's obviously a big change. And you can see he's a more confident player. He's a player who's obviously gotten stronger. So some of the deficiencies that might have existed last year as a younger player have already been turned around over the course of the pandemic and the fact that the SHL is back playing. So those would be two names that I would consider. But again, you wouldn't go wrong with Rossi there. You wouldn't go wrong with Drysdale there. These guys are really, really closely bunched. It's it's that tight up at the top. And, you know, my predictions as a mock draft could be completely, completely off base because what if someone jumps up and gets the goalie there? You know, what if someone's really excited about Jack Quinn because they think he can play center? Alexander Holtz has a really awesome two-way game, yet that high offensive upside to be and the ability to score goals. I honestly don't think you go wrong with any one of those guys. And so it's, it is kind of a bit of a, a crapshoot there, but they're really, they're really that closely booked together. And I haven't even mentioned Marco Rossi, who I believe is going to be an NHL star. So we'd be a little remiss having you here if we didn't dive a little bit deeper into this, because I'm always fascinated by everybody's draft philosophies. Cause everybody we've had on this podcast has given a different, at least a slightly different answer. In a draft like this, where the Red Wings are in the middle of a rebuild, they should be getting a star at number four, but then beyond that have three second round picks. Yeah. Some people will focus on position. Some people just go straight best player available. Some will try to, if we pick a forward here, we got to pick a defenseman here. If we got to pick a goalie here, what would be your mindset if you're the Red Wings going into the second round this year, assuming they get a guy like Perfetti at four? I'd have to look. Where Do you know what the numbers are in the second round? 32, 46, and I want to say 55. I might yeah. be off by one or two on that one. So at 32, it's going to be best player available. And there's going to be, honestly, they'll have, a, they'll have a grouping of probably six guys there with what's left over from day one. And that and, and again, depending on how the last five picks in the first round go, that, that, that list can be anywhere. So I think you go best player available there. And then I think when you get to... Um, you're probably going to start looking at a goalie with one of those two second-round picks because typically that run of goalies begins right around the neighborhood of 40. So you're probably looking at that area. And then I think you just go down, and obviously you're knocking the next person off on your list, but what you're, what you're, what you're also more mindful of as you get later in the draft is maybe the potential to address that positional need. So that probably will come into play with the 55. All right, Sam, before we have you uh, commit too much more to the record, uh, obviously Tuesday is going to be a big day uh, and you're going to be a very busy guy before that. So thank you for taking this time to join the Winged Wheel podcast. Um, Best of luck with uh, your upcoming week and uh, we appreciate it. Everyone, Sam Costantino, Sportsnet lead draft analyst. Thank you very much. Thanks, guys. And so when Perfetti doesn't get taken by Steve Eiserman, I guess I got to come back on, right? (laughs) (laughs) One way or another, you're coming back on. You know that. We can't yet. We can't yell at you on Twitter, so we really have no other option. <laughs> All right. I'd rather be yelled at face-to-face. <laughs> Cheers. Thanks, guys. Take care. Take care. Welcome back. That was our interview with Sam Costantino. Definitely some interesting stuff. Um, I can't tell. Ooh, I, I don't know if I'm sold more or less in any direction, but... Um, man, I don't envy people who do this for a living. I do, and I don't. Like that is just so much to try and put together. It was a lot of insight into what might be going through Steve Eiserman's mind though. And it did make me feel a little better about if we end up jumping a little bit and taking Sanderson at four, not going to lie. Still not my pick, but I don't think I would quite have the visceral reaction I would have if we had made that pick a month ago. But also I, I think I'm 
Oh, God. I, I think I'm actually going to be surprised if it's not Perfetti at this point. Mm-hmm. Just given everything Sam said, it made it made way too much sense. Um, given that there's been rumors from other outlets also linking Perfetti to the Red Wings. I, I mean, we see the odd Raymond link or Askarov or Sanderson link, but Perfetti's coming left, right, and center. So either Steve Eisenman's throwing up the best smoke screen in the world, or Sam was bang on on everything he says and and Perfetti is going to be a Red Wing because the connection's there, the knowledge is there, the direct type of player the Red Wings need right now is there, the skill level, the talent is there. I mean, it's hard to argue at this point, honestly. Well, then let's dive right into our actual NHL draft prospect profile on Cole Perfetti. Um, winger or center out of Saginaw, depending on which kind of line of thinking you want to take, Um Build as one of the smartest players in the draft and maybe the most likely Red Wings pick. So, Brad, uh, let's start our dive into him. Well, I'll start by saying, to me, Cole Perfetti is a winger. And I don't want to say that as a knock to Cole Perfetti. It's just that his style of game and his strengths won't translate as well to center. And I, I believe Sam even mentioned that he, he's better. his talents are better suited for the wing, but if you get in a pinch, you can put him at center, which is fair if you have injuries or whatever and you got to uh, throw the utility guy in there. So be it. Um, the, the strengths of Perfetti's game are his intelligence. He can do whatever he wants on the ice. He sees things other people don't see. He's able to slow the game down to his pace so he's able to execute what he wants. That will be tougher to do at the NHL level, so there is a question about transition there. Um, he's got a wicked shot, unreal passing ability. Again, Sam kept saying, blue line in, his offensive creativity is second to none in this draft, and I do agree with that. Um, except for Lafreniere, but you know, obvious statements are obvious, but Perfetti's in that ballpark. The risk with Perfetti is he's he's not a great skater. Um, I, I would say calling him an average pro skater might be a bit generous at this point, but he's the type of guy who works on those things, and I would expect that to improve over the years. He'll never be a burner. It'll never be a strength of his game, but when you actually look at how offense is created in the NHL right now, so little of it is actually created off speed, off the rush. If it was speed off the rush, Athens CU would be a 50-goal scorer every year. Um so I'm not as concerned about that in terms of creating offense. I do have concerns about that because uh, that is going to hinder him in the transition game because players back check harder in the NHL than they do in the OHL. Things happen quicker. You got to move a little quicker. I'm not saying he won't learn these things or be able to do these things, but it's it's to be seen still. Um, it's also the reason I don't think he'll ever be a center in the NHL because you have to be everywhere on the ice at all times. And Perfetti will struggle to get there at NHL pace. That's just the reality of it. No matter, even if he knows where to be in the offensive or defensive zone, you still have to be there in time. And that's the risk with Perfetti. But once he has that puck on his stick, he's agile. He can move in and out of traffic. He can get his shot off in the snap of a finger. He can see the passing lane that nobody else sees and he can execute it quickly I mean, again, not to beat the repeat or to repeat myself over and over again, blue line in, he's unreal. He is absolutely unreal. And I have very little concern about that aspect of his game. It's just the, you have to get there to execute. That leaves me wanting a little bit with Perfetti at the next level. 
Yeah, that's that's exactly it. Um, just looking at some of his video, he's got <clears throat> a very wide set skating stance and he's very hunched over, which is that's in a big indicator to me that there's a lot of work to be put in and to make him a, an NHL caliber skater. So right then and there, that means to me he's not a, not a center at the NHL level. He could be on the PK. He could be on in certain situations, but not a, as a full-time centerman. Um, and I think that's probably, honestly, I think that would be best for him to be a full-time winger. Um, a lot of his his key moments in, in some of the highlight videos all come from the perimeter, and, and that's where he kind of establishes establishes himself so yeah if they're looking for a centerman i don't think he's the guy but um he's got probably the best vision out of anyone in the draft like some of the passes he makes in these videos are just unbelievable so i see him as a guy who you know he'll be an excellent playmaker but he'll also have the ability to score some goals um so I think it might be better to compare him to other wingers at number four. Um, I wouldn't be upset with that pick at all. Um, I just hope they aren't really dead set on him playing center. The the one thing that I didn't mention when I was talking that I absolutely reminded myself today that I wanted to mention, one of the things that I noticed with Perfetti, in specific, specifically with his playmaking, the one thing that separates him from every other player in this draft is his deception when he's setting something up. It is truly something remarkable to watch. Like if you watch him on any rush, a two on two, two on one, whatever it looks like he's about to do, he does the other. So he'll come in, he'll look for the pass the whole way and then drag back to shoot. And then the goalie squares up to the shot as the puck goes over to his teammate or same thing. Like he'll catch a pass. And then as soon as he opens his blade up, to shoot it's already it's already off so he he doesn't necessarily need to be that fast if he's keeping the opponent guessing all the time which is what he does you don't know what he's setting up to do until he does it which is a very very rare skill in the nhl lots of guys attempt it lots of guys can do it few can do it as effectively and consistently as he does he's very good in small spaces yeah. which is a huge asset to have at the NHL level. Yeah. He's he's good in, in small spaces, and he's good at finding those spaces, which is a – I mean, if you're not going to be a strong skater, then you need to be able to do that, and he definitely does, which is why he's excelled. These two guys before me highlighted exactly um, the pros and cons about Perfetti that are going to stand out. And the thing about him being a center, I gave up a long time ago trying to predict who's going to stick at center and who won't. I think so much of that is just dependent on their development, both in the system of the team that they're drafted by and physically. Um, he has been touted, uh, and this is by people who are around him, like this one's from uh, the GM of Saginaw. He's saying like he, this guy's, um, or maybe it wasn't the GM that said this, but someone close to him said he's just still developing uh, physically, and you, you can tell that he looks like he's 13 years old. So you have to imagine the guy still has a lot of physical development to do. So you work on that skating during those development years, those formative years. You work on your your size and your strength. Um, the the being able to play center might come, and as Sam mentioned, starting out at wing and then slowly moving to center as you mature might come. And 
Okay, let, let's compare him to Raymond. Evan, you said maybe it's it's more fair to compare him to, to other wingers. I have some Raymond bias because admittedly in my tier of players outside of the top three, Raymond is, if I had to pick one at the top, it'd be him. Uh, I called him a, like a fantastic playmaker who can see the ice extremely well. Like you guys said, Perfetti beats everyone, almost everyone in the draft in terms of that. Like He is so freaking smart in the offensive zone. You put him on the left wall, the same thing we talked about Raymond. You put him on the left wall in the power play, uh, that's a that'd be a great spot for him. And he can generate the offense from the wing. He can drive a line probably from a wing. If this is a guy that pans out but doesn't go to center, it does not mean he's a bust as a prospect. So I would obviously prefer him to be a center because that means he's probably Detroit's number one center if they pick him. Um, but I I don't I'm starting to come off the idea of that is his barometer or his his uh, threshold for success. I watch him, and like I said, we've said in the past, you add skating to Perfetti, and he's a top three, maybe a top two pick in this draft. Like he got, he really does do everything. His shot being as threatening as it is is something that's overlooked a lot in my mind. Well, again, to relate this to the Red Wings, because that's what we're doing on these final prospect profiles. We've been saying for what two years, two drafts in a row on this podcast the number one thing the red wings are missing in their organization is an elite playmaker perfetti solves that not solves that but he's that's his thing and a lot of people don't think you can be that guy from the wing i think even if perfetti sticks at wing if everything goes well for him he can be the line driver from the wing he can be the general i mean you watch most offensive systems in the NHL right now it's not like they stick on the left side you don't want admittedly with even though his IQ is high but with his skating as it is you don't want him being the line driver in the defensive zone but you want him being that guy in the offensive zone and since everybody tends to play rover in the offensive zone you can still run it through him even though he's a winger I mean let's say the Red Wings keep their top line together for the next five years what could what might Detroit's second line look like right now? Well, my best guess in three years would be Perfetti, Valeno, Zadina. And as good as Valeno and Zadina are, that line would run through Perfetti because Valeno's your two-way center, can skates like the wing, can get everywhere on the ice, can be your defensive uh, wizard. Zadina's your finisher, and Perfetti is a playmaker and a finisher. You can run that through him because they can't... The good thing about Perfetti is... You can't pigeonhole him. When he has the puck, you don't know if there's a shot coming because he can beat you from the dots. You don't know if the pass is coming and you don't know if the pass is coming because just because you don't see the lane doesn't mean he doesn't see the lane. So if you have Valeno in the slot, Zadina cruising around the other half wall or creeping up on the back door, Perfetti will find him if it's there. And if it's not there, he's got the ability to score. So again, even though he would be the winger on that hypothetical line, that line would run through him. Yeah. Perfetti's brilliance and his playmaking, and just like a couple more points about that. Like he makes the right pass. He can make the right pass whenever he wants, but he can also get so creative. It's freaky and execute at a level as if the pass was simple. Like that's how good his playmaking is. Like that is why teams are so set on this guy, despite physical deficiencies that are perceived uh, by scouts. So Size and skating are two of the biggest things scouts look for, whether they're old school or new school. And the fact that this guy's being so highly touted despite those things, that's how talented he is. The biggest things in my mind, if the Red Wings were to draft Perfetti, and I think he is the most likely pick, he needs to 
be able to uh, take the hits because he likely won't get the kind of separation he needs at the NHL level. And he will, in my mind, have to demonstrate being able to play at a, at a higher pace because, as I just said, separation at the NHL level is huge. To, to play the kind of game that he plays, you need separation. He has a great mind for finding the gap on the ice, and that is most of the way there. But if he can just get his legs to do a little bit more because they are going to close the gap on him so fast in the NHL. You remember Zadina had a hard time when he first played his first little stint in the NHL um, because they just closed the gap on him too fast, and that was a big thing. Young player, Every young player faces that, and that's going to be a, 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 the biggest hurdle in my mind for Perfetti. In terms of likelihood, we've been giving percentages for other guys. I have Perfetti at half the coin. I have him as a 50%. Like He's the most likely Red Wings pick in my mind. I would go above 50 at this point, say 55 or 60%. He's the pick. Because I do believe the rumors that they still really like Raymond. It would make sense that they really like Sanderson. So I've seen the Askarov ones. I, I have a harder time believing that one. But hey, they're out there. But I mean, it... He's not my fourth best player. He's not far behind, but he's not my fourth best player. But like from a need standpoint and everything we talked about with Sam, it makes a little too much sense for him to not be the pick, right? Uh, so they're, they're familiar. They're comfortable. They'd know him inside and out. Again, in this pandemic world, that'd be harder to do with other prospects. They... God knows what they actually know about Lucas Raymond right now. So, again, if I'm handicapping it, I, I think in one week, Cole Perfetti, in less than a week, Cole Perfetti's a Red Wing, but we'll, we have to wait and see, and that's the fun of the draft. Evan, how would you predict it? 69%. Nice. <laughs> nice. I actually didn't see that one coming either. You were waiting, eh? You had your finger on the mute button. I had that one. <laughs> All right, that is all of our prospect profiles. Um, doesn't mean we're done talking about them. Next episode is going to be our draft um, preview episode that is going to be rankings, mock draft. Uh, we're going to be talking about later round targets. We're going to be having the conversation about Jake Sanderson and Askarov, maybe two unpopular but uh, possible picks. Um, pretty much everything. It's going to be a massive episode. It always is. And then, of course, Tuesday, Wednesday. Tuesday will be the big live stream. Uh Follow us on Twitter if you don't uh, for information on that. We'll be live streaming on YouTube, possibly a couple other services, but definitely YouTube and then uh, tons more content. So that's all to come. Uh, we know what we didn't talk about before I get into overtime. Patrick Line, uh, the Line rumors. What are those? <laughs> Just more uh, that Line and Winnipeg maybe aren't uh, a long term thing together. Winnipeg needs defense. Patrick Line for Dennis Chalosky. Who says no? <laughs> I will piggyback Dennis Chalosky from Detroit to Winnipeg. And Winnipeg is cold right now. So just take that for what it's worth. Um, I, I've seen some people asking about what you give up for Line. I don't, I think Line would be a great get for any team. Like I, I would not write Line off, but. I'm not sure I include a package involving fourth overall for line. A. I, I think you kind of safeguard that, right? Like I'm not saying fourth overall will definitely be as good or better than line, a, but you kind of have to make that pick hoping they are right. Your Brad's Brad's making a face that people can't hear. Yeah. I'm pulling an Evan on this one. 
All right. Well, screw both of you. Uh, on that front, if we don't have anything else, let's move into overtime. Uh, overtime on this midweek episode of the Wing Wheel Podcast is brought to you by our Patreon supporters. Uh, they are the reason we're able to run this show, do all this awesome uh, pre-draft content. So thank you all so much. And one of you tonight will be announced as the winner of the uh, Philip Zadina rookie card. And then there's going to be more coming as well. So uh, our first Patreon supporter, once I get this to load, whose question we're going to read out is, okay, uh, former defenseman Ryan Hanna. <laughs> <laughs> uh, hey guys, I think it's about time you give us the Patreon exclusive content we really want. A video of Evan going around telling people to do a kickflip. It won't be me, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> hey, how is your ankle? It's It's way more bruised than it should be. Oh my God. I'm Good. an old ass man now uh oh this is what are the percentages by what are the chances by percentage we draft each of the following players this year okay so i just rehashing what we had before so don't mess this up because i guess it has to add up to 100 drysdale there's a zero percent chance that this adds up to 100 when i'm done <laughs> i'm not counting okay good uh 15 10. i say 10 yeah i say 10 for drysdale sanderson 15 Nine. Eleven. Uh Askarov. Five. 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 Stutzla. Zero. Uh, five, because I don't think he drops. Twenty percent. Oh, Cole Perfetti. Sixty. Did I not already say sixty-nine percent? Fifty point six nine percent. Rossi. 15. Yeah. I'm over I'll, 100 I'll, now. I know that for a fact. I'll give Rossi 15. Yeah, I'll say 16.69. Uh, Raymond. 30. This will put me well over 100, but I say 35. I think I'm somewhere around a buck 50 right now. You're, you're fine. I'll say 20. Uh, okay, next comments from Evan is looking at WAP while recording podcasts. He says, uh, you guys forgot to do awards on the last show. I'm ready for the draft and glad the season is officially over. As I've been playing a Star Wars game, which of you would be a Sith and which would be Jedi's? Thanks, WAP gang. Ryan, easy. you think you'd be a Jedi, but I think you're a Sith. 100% you and I are Sith and Brad's a Jedi. Yeah, okay. I'm yeah. glad we all agree. I think I know enough about Star Wars to understand that and I'm okay with it. You're very happy-go-lucky and you're a good dude. Well, no, that's not me. <laughs> Evan and I are just not. I'm an asshole. Brad, every, I think each side has a little bit of the of light and dark. Okay. Brad's favorite Star Wars film is the Christmas special. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I know uh, enough to make it. I was going to make um, a prequel joke there, but I decided to not trigger everybody. Hey, man. A lot of people are triggered by the more recent movies anyways. Uh, recency, Cyril, bias, recency bias, right? Yeah, I don't I don't engage with Star Wars fans. It's just that that level of passion is just not for me for Star Wars. I love it, but not that much. Cyril Rubitsky uh, says, how do you think the recent wing season fits in with the worst Detroit sports seasons over the last 20 years? In my mind, it's somehow only the third worst after the 03 Tigers who went 43 and 119 and of course the uh, winless 08 lions 
the O3 Tigers do give uh, some reason for optimism. They follow that season up by a sure, by signing a surefire Hall of Famer in Pudge Rodriguez and reaching the World Series only three seasons later. As for the Lions, let's pray the Wings don't follow their path. So with the understanding that I don't think the Red Wings are reaching the Stanley Cup final within the next half decade, I'll say the 08 Lions and then the 2019-20 Detroit Red Wings. It was they won 17 games. 17. Yeah. Yeah. It's and then it, it ended in a pandemic. It's bad that we're even in the same conversation as the un, un, winless lines, but here we are. Uh, Chris B says, Hey, fellas, I'm going to list some draft eligibles. Could you tell me which pick you'd be comfortable with the wings te- taking each player? For example, if I listed a Reichel, you'd say 32. Thanks. Okay. Um, Emile Andre. 32. Jeremy Poirier. 32. Sean Farrell. 55 or whatever the Washington pick is. Yeah, I'd go later for that one. Zion Nybeck. 46. You wouldn't go 32 for him? No, I'm not. I'm not there anymore. I'm clo- close. Close, but he's he's lower than 32. Uh, Carter Savoy. 46. Lucas Cormier. 46. Uh, Nico Dawes. Would you take him 30? What if they took him 32, Brad? What would you do? I wouldn't freak, but I wouldn't love it. Um, And Theodore Niederbach. Comfortable, right? Not necessarily thrilled. Yeah. 46. I don't know. He could be at a 32. That could be there. I've seen lists with him like in the fourth round, though, so I don't know. (laughs) He's having a hot start to the year, I believe. He's he's doing. Yeah, it's it even though most teams won't move off of their opinions because of the uh, like recency bias, some teams will, and it only takes one or two. I'm trying to find the exact picks. Um, I thought it was 45, not 46, but who knows? Ah, whatever. People get it. Uh, Ryan with a bunch of numbers says, <laughs> I love this. Listen to the Stutzla episode. And I just want to say, don't even think about taking him because Ottawa's taking him. I know Pierre Doorhandle. He's my father's brother's nephew's cousin's former roommate. And I have the inside information on who he's taking. Yeah. There are some angry people on YouTube who maybe needed telling that. So, or who, who post that same comment, but unironically. <laughs> uh, Terry says, good day. Dud duds. Terry here. I'm currently on the wait list to become a public owner of Detroit city FC. Perhaps you duds could use some of that Patreon money to help out the community. I've, uh, I've always wanted to follow Detroit city FC more. I'm one of those heathens that wanted an MLS team in Detroit. I know that's kind of fallen through and I know a lot of Detroit city FC fans don't like that. So don't kill me. Um, La Plata Peak says with the rumblings regarding Ottawa and New Jersey wanting Askroff, I wonder if that increases the odds that New Jersey makes an offer to Detroit to jump ahead of Ottawa's second first round pick. Also, with so many scouting services having Perfetti towards the bottom end of the top 10, I find it hard to believe that we'll take him at four. Forgive me if Osgood owning the spirit in Saginaw and Detroit being 100 miles apart doesn't seem to be valid reasons to take a guy who avoids content and keeps lead ball bearings in his skates with the top five pick. Um, in terms of New Jersey trading up, I don't know. I was talking to a friend about this today. I find trading in that range just so, so, so sticky. It's okay. So 
ignoring my own personal rankings and that would be the biggest reason i wouldn't do it it to get proper value out of that is hard because as everybody and their brother says once you get past the top three picks picks four through ten are almost interchangeable so from a talent level you could trade back to seven and still feel really really comfortable that you are getting a good player but what's that certainty worth to you right like if the red Wings, if, if we go back to our conversation with sam and the red wings they know cole perfetti they know what they're getting they are very comfortable picking cole perfetti they cannot guarantee he'll be there at seven right so they're going to take another prospect who's probably very similarly skilled that they don't know as much about, that they're not as comfortable with. Is that worth a third round pick to you? Is that worth the other team's top prospect to you? Like that would be a very, very difficult negotiation in the top 10. So I just, I can't see it happening. Um, I think if I'm New Jersey, I'm hedging my bets because to me it would be insane if Detroit or Ottawa took Askarov, but it is what it is. Anaheim's not taking them. They've got John Gibson. So um, you're really banking on two teams. And I, I can't see either of them doing it. And New Jersey has so many picks in this draft. If they don't get Askarov, whatever. They take one in the second round. Take one in the third round. Doesn't matter. Swing for the fences. So for the record, Detroit's picks are obviously fourth overall. Uh, 32nd, 45. It is 45. Uh, cool. Yeah, 55. Nailed 63 and 65 those are in the first uh three rounds now technically no because they just they still list arizona second round pick just as like a pass right so it's actually like 62 and 64 yeah 49 no selection yeah yeah um okay dylan krill says who would you rather the wings select with the following picks so three players lifted at 55 gushin torgerson or hervonen if those were my only three choices, yeah, I'm torn between Gushin and Hirvinen. I'll I'll go Hirvinen for now. Yeah, I'll pick the same. Uh, Sixty-three Niederbach, Dawes, and Ku. Co. I'll go Niederbach. I'll go Niederbach by a hair, and then sixty-five Heinemann, Robbins, and Camesso. I don't think I know enough. Yeah, my, my instinct is Heineman, but that's probably coming from familiarity. Uh, Cameron Swick says, if the Red Wings draft Perfetti, Detroit will be the spaghetti capital of the world within 15 years. Hear me out. We start calling Cole Perfetti goal spaghetti. I will M&M's not be doing that. Pop-up restaurant Mom Spaghetti gets a permanent spot at LCA. Our mascot becomes a flying spaghetti monster. We give the Seattle crack in the tradition of throwing octopi in the ice. Fans start lining their pockets and sneaking in spaghetti to the games and throwing handfuls whenever he scores. Spaghetti capital of the world. Uh, you're insane, but uh, thank you for the creativity. I'm not calling him goal spaghetti, but I absolutely love that train of thought you just went on. Uh, Jake Nagy, we actually did talk about his first question here. How do you see Perfetti pairing on a line with Zadina as opposed to Raymond? Uh, if the Larkin Mantha Bertuzzi line is solid and locked in, it's very possible our fourth overall pick is on a line with Zadina for many years. So I'm curious which prospect you feel would fit the best alongside him. My answer to that is both of them would very well. So here's here's a question that I can't really answer because we don't have enough of a sample size. So Zadina shoots left. So naturally you would think you'd want him on the left side, but a lot of his strength and a lot of his 
uh, what makes him good, he would have to play the off wing for. So if we're putting him at right wing, then Perfetti. If he's more comfortable at left wing, then it's Raymond. It's an overly simplistic answer, but I, I think that's the answer. Um, also in Promen's recent mock, and we, we mentioned this, uh, the two players he heard linked to Detroit by multiple sources are Perfetti and Askarov. One source made a good point regarding Perfetti in that so many people seem to think uh, that's who Detroit is taking, that it's almost suspicious. Is this a 4D chess from Stevie or could we really take Askarov? Uh, I mean, okay, so here's the only reason I don't think this is 4D chess from Steve, even though I could absolutely see it being something that he, he could do. He doesn't need to put up smoke screens because the top three is locked. Like for all intents and purposes, the odds of the top three not going exactly as we think it is are, are slim to none. He has free reign over the rest of the draft. He can pick who the hell ever he wants as long as they're not named Stutzla, Byfield, or Lafreniere. So why would he need a smokescreen? The only reason he would do that is to get a team to bite and trade up. But based on his availability today, if he's to you take him at his word, he said it's basically like next to impossible to trade that pick. So, I, I if it is a smokescreen, I don't get it, but hey, it is what it is. Uh, uh, Jan Michael Larkin, or maybe Jan Michael Larkin, please let me know if I'm saying that right, says, good day, Dud Duds. I believe a new patron. Yeah, a new patron. Hey, welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast family, and we appreciate your support. Uh, they say, I've been enjoying your stuff for literally years, and I'm thrilled to finally be supporting you cheese bags on Patreon. Not to toot my own horn or anything, but I'm almost a month sober, and I couldn't think of a better way to spend my newfound extra cash than on subscriptions to the Winged Wheel podcast and The Athletic. You guys and Prawn Dog are my absolute favorite sources of hockey info. Uh, first and foremost, congratulations. That's really awesome. Um, thank you for uh, helping having us benefit from your benefit, but seriously, like, Good for you. That's that's fantastic. Um, moving on, a friend and I have been talking recently about market inefficiencies. We think that one of the biggest can be found in defensemen who don't put up flashy numbers but control the flow of play. Think Shea Theodore, uh, yeah, Jacob Slavin, Colton Pareko. The lack of jump off the page numbers means these kind of guys are going to go for around five or six million AAV, while an elite offensive specialist will cost you eight million minimum. I mention this because it seems like Stevie is consciously stocking up on these sorts of guys. Cider is the most obvious, uh, but Johansson and Berglund both seem to fit the bill as well. Knowing his tendency for exploiting market inefficiency and maximizing contract, I wouldn't be surprised if this is something he has his eye on. What are your thoughts? Sanderson to the Red Wings confirmed. Look, I, I love players like Theodore and Slavin, and I love how every couple of years we rediscover a guy. They're like, oh, well, look at him emerging. And you're like, well, he's kind of been that effective the whole time. It's just he, he doesn't jump off the page at you. So, And that's a great strategy to keep the cap down, which Eisenman's not going to have the tax advantage in Detroit that he did in Tampa Bay. So might be a way to do it. But eventually you have to put the puck in the net. So as much as someone can control yeah. the play, if there's nobody to give the puck to, it doesn't matter. The only opinion that matters on this conversation of defensemen is former defenseman Ryan Hanna. Thank you. I was uh, waiting for someone to affirm my authority there. Uh, Jake Jarvis says, hey, guys, how long do you think it'll take each of these potential number four picks to make the Red Wings roster? So we'll start with Lucas Raymond. Um, 21-22. Yeah, I'll say two seasons. Uh, Cole Perfetti. Two seasons. Two seasons, just because he's still smaller. Jamie Drysdale. Two seasons. 
Maybe three. I don't know. No, two. And Marco Rossi. Next year. Yeah, I see him as an NHL starter. Two seasons. Ooh. Here we go. Uh, Disco Sludge says the key to winning a Stanley Cup is Patty Maroon playing your captain for less than three minutes during the finals in Nikita Kucherov's ball spot. I'll not be accepting any criticism at this time. In more serious conversation, pick a dog breed comparable comparable for Detroit's top three prospects. Dog breed for Zadina. Hmm. Oh boy. Uh, so we, what's a what's like a a flashy type dog that everybody likes like a uh, australian shepherd i think australian i like australian shepherd there yeah yeah i think that one works cider's a great dane right oh yeah beyond without a doubt yeah and then valeno third top prospect german shepherd yeah it does it all yeah good and reliable and smart Evan, pick one Red Wings prospect or player that is a cat. That's your authority. Yeah, I know. I'm thinking. That's hard. Hmm. Who would be a cat? I don't know. I have my answer. Who do you think, Brad? Cats are freaking aggressive. It's Albin Grava. <laughs> oh, yeah, that would Not fit. mine. <laughs> your guy, your guy Who likes play? to sleep a lot and... Only eat wet food. Alban Grava, funny enough. Am I a cat? <laughs> you might be. <laughs> you, you're far too chipper to be a cat. Uh, third man in says, hey, boys, I still don't think the wings got enough for Mark Stahl's $5.7 million cap hit slash $3.2 million salary. Using Dom Loose Chicken's uh, GSVA model, Prashant calculated the median value of a second round pick at 0.82 million, which means the wings overpaid for a pick that projects in the mid second round and will only hit 30 to 40% of the time. I don't think they realistically could have gotten a first rounder for the stall contract. I'm sure Eisenman asked, but if they were going to do this kind of deal, I would have preferred to see them target a pick that projects in the early second instead. The Rangers are already about to draft Lafreniere and now have cap space uh, with the steal and the Lungfist buyout. I'm not sure makes sense to help a team that will also be contenders when the red wings are ready to contend so here's the thing i will caution um i'm not going to caution it's actually a reason for optimism the rangers missed the playoffs this year they were the 11th seed um they lost their safety net in net with lundquist and he did play this year um if they're one Georgiev or Shesterkin injury away this year from having a real problem, their defense this year is still going to be tragic unless they strike it big in, the, in a trade or the free agent market. Like their defense is like bad, bad. So Shesterkin, a rookie goaltender, is going to get a ton of pucks this year. I don't necessarily think even adding Lafreniere and even adding another year of experience for Capo Caco makes the Rangers a playoff team just yet. I think in short order, they will eventually be contenders, but they got work to do to get there. And I, I, I still think there's a reasonable chance that the second round pick we get from Mark Stahl is going to be in the top half of that second round. Uh, Michael Barry says, all right, guys, this is for record keeping. Name the top five players on your board so we can look back and laugh when your predictions don't come true go that is for the patreon exclusive episode coming this sunday from me so you're gonna have to wait on that lafreniere byfield stutzla raymond perfetti lafreniere 
Byfield, Stutzla. You want to say Askarov. Raymond. Perfetti. Yeah. All right. Uh, next comment from Stevie's Yoga Matt says, Hey guys, all right. I never thought this day would come, but here it is. I will be defending Jonathan Erickson. Sure, my client was overpaid. Sure, my client wasn't great at the so called hockey thing, but he beat the odds. Last pick in the draft made it to the show. Sure, his name isn't on the cup, but he has a ring. Do you have either? Bet not. Number two, easily one of the best looking guys in the league. Dude, could have been in magazines. Do you look as good as him? Bet not. Number three, how can you blame him for making his money? Sure, was he a pylon out there? Of course, but you cannot blame him for signing the contracts and getting paid. Uh, do you have as much money as him? Bet not. The point is, the dude ate pucks, had injuries, and sacrificed his body for the team. Sure, I'm happy he's gone. Yeah, but yeah, we should st- we should still appreciate everything he's done for the organization. And final statements, stay home if you're sick and come over if you're thick. And on a more important note, Black Lives Matter. Thank you, Your Honor. I rest my case. <laughs> tj nasty says good day dud duds with the great one retiring a couple years ago drew miller uh entering the insurance world what current player could you see working in a different field after hockey no evan golf does not count mine is bert as a dentist thanks guys oh god um okay current red wing as something else Uh, Danny DeKaiser as a university professor. He just has that look. I could, see, I could see that. I could absolutely see that. I will go with Mo Cider as a small coffee shop owner. Like an, a, like a coffee shop with a counter so low, like it does not make sense that he owns it. Like exactly. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. Everything uh, in there is solely meant to accentuate his height. Evan Pardo says, Stevie would intimidate the absolute shit out of me if I were a prospect being interviewed. That guy doesn't mess around. Uh, the towering behemoth Leviathan says, Promen's mock draft has the wings picking only one goalie, and that's in the last round. Do you think that's likely? Do you think that is right? I'd rather see an earlier goalie pick. Uh, likely, yeah. Unless they go for Nico Dawes in the second or third, which I would really like them to do. There is a lot of goalies in this draft, like a lot more than most years, at least ranked in the top, like 100 to 120 ish. So they'll pick a goalie. I'll be shocked if they don't. I don't think they'll wait till the seventh round, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if their first goalie doesn't come to the fourth or fifth round. Uh, Clark Manning says, while most rumors seem to be about, about Perfetti at four, we also can't forget our Swedish based European super scout, uh, Hakan Anderson. I'm sure he has a thorough analysis and projection for both the Swedes at the top of the draft. Also based on the amount of Europeans we selected last year, Stevie seems to hold his opinion in high regard. Also seems to be less likely for any information for rumors to, to be substantiated, um, on to be a leaked out from him out of Sweden. Prospect development also seems just as much, if not more, than the original scouting. With more ice time, Raymond playing with playing with and practicing with one of the best teams, uh, one of the top leagues should be beneficial for him. Additionally, the connection between Detroit and Saginaw should also be extremely beneficial for Perfetti furthering his game. So I'll be pretty ecstatic if either prospect is picked fourth overall. Clark, that's pretty much where I've landed to, man. Like, there's really no wrong way to go here. 
he said. (laughs) There are wrong ways to go. We're just not thinking they're very likely this year. Joseph Fournier says, hey there, fellas. Can we just take a moment and appreciate how Eisenman definitely maneuvers his way through each press conference? Today was another priceless example. I was doing yoga and I didn't want to be a distraction. Remember last year, Turcotte went to LA and we were all wondering who Steve was going to take between Cousins, Zegras, and Pod Colson. Uh, what silly, naive children we were. Imagine this year, Bettman announcing over Zoom that with the fourth overall pick, the Detroit Red Wings select from Salavet, Yuleyev, Ufa of the Continental Hockey League, Rodion Amirov. And we get another year of screenshotting shocked reactions. Just kidding, but still, it makes uh, it makes you wonder. Each of you, Evan, Ryan, and Brad, select a feasible off-the-board pick that Eisman can make and support your choice. So I guess we have to go outside of the top eight or nine here since we... Quinn or Jarvis? I'll go Lundell. Need those, yeah. need those centermen. That was Jarvis was the one that jumped to mind for me right away. Jarvis, yeah. Jarvis is an appealing pick. A lot of people are, are slotting Jarvis further and further up. Lundell, like if they're set on center, maybe not like superstar level, but he projects maybe safely at center. I don't know. I wouldn't be happy, but he's an assistant captain at 19 in uh, one of the best leagues in the world. Steve Eisenman likes compete in leadership, so. There you go. Uh, then he says, don't stay at the Clarion by Detroit Metro. Torn curtains, broken handles, blood spots in the bathroom wall. I could go on. Yikes. Well, Stay fresh cheese bags. Matt Whip says, hey, boys, you have to make the draft reactions from last year public. I'm dying to watch it as I didn't follow you guys. Keep up the good work. Thanks. I keep meaning to do that, and I just haven't. I've been too focused on stuff from this year. I, I'll try to get it to, the, to it this week. Zen Eisman says, why are the Flames constantly rumored in the line A sweepstakes? They're literally the Jets' uh, biggest rivals. I don't get it. Anyways, if you had to bet $100 on where line A ends up, where would you say? You cannot say the Jets. My bet would be the Canes, despite not the great cap. They have the D that they want. Giggity. Carolina makes a lot of sense. Uh, Trying to think. Dark Horse here? Nashville. I like Nashville. I don't think Winnipeg would be willing to do that in division, but I mean, Nashville has the assets that they could use um, to leverage that trade. They have a direct need for a goal scorer. So I could see Nashville again, tough to work in division trade, but I'm, I'm still going to go with it. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to co-op that answer for me as well. Okay. We're going to wrap up this episode. Um, again, Sunday guys is going to be our draft preview episode. It's going to be a big one. Stay tuned for that, for giveaways, for everything. Thank you for sticking with us for all of these draft profiles. Um, I'm sure a million things are going to happen draft wise between now and then. So excited for that. But for now, we'd like to wrap up this episode by thanking all of our listeners, all the people who support us by doing things like leaving five-star reviews on iTunes and subscribing on YouTube and and listening and, and sharing with their friends. Um, our name level sponsors on Patreon, um, Arjun Shanker, Terry, Greech, Jake Kiefer, Evan is looking at WAP while recording podcasts, Andrew Bohan, Scott Martin, Jacob Turner, Matt McKay, Craig Kibble, Brandon M., Matthew M. Rice, Luke Johnson, Kaylin Wood, 
Hassam al Qasem, Charlie Elkins, Hana Lee, another former junior goalie turned golfer, Trevor Pevavar, Evans Bingo Card, Ashley Van Conant, Connor Leighton, Matthew Keeler, Simon Anderson, Antonio Gracias, John Evans, Quaz, Stan Olson, and also a shout out to Rowan here at the end who messaged me saying that Steve Weisman needs to sign Patty Maroon to win the cup. That's all we got to do. Simple as that. Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod. And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna WWP, and at Hockey Town Evan.